Hi, I'm Lindsay Pugh. And I'm Joan Nesterock. Welcome to the first episode of the Woman in Revolt podcast. If you're listening to this, you're probably familiar with my blog, Woman in Revolt, where I write about film and TV directed by women. This podcast will be sort of like that, but instead of focusing solely on directors, we'll also highlight women doing other work in the industry. Sometimes we'll talk about old movies, sometimes new, but we'll always have at least one woman centered in the discussion. They might be a cinematographer, costume or production designer, actress, editor, writer, director, the list goes on. Today, we'll be discussing a new movie, Anna Eason Love, the debut feature-length film written and directed by Charlene Bourgeois-Tiquet and starring Anaïs de Moustier. And to any French-speaking listeners, sorry in advance for all of the shitty pronunciations to come. Anaïs in Love is currently in select theaters and available for streaming through Apple TV and Amazon Prime for those in North America. We will also link Magnolia Pictures' website, the distributor, so that you can see where the film is playing in whatever location you may be in. So check that out if you want more information. We've had the privilege of seeing this film, I believe, twice. We watched it, and it is a true delight, so it is worth researching it and finding it. Yeah, very good movie. It is funny, definitely very funny. You will laugh, but it also tackles serious topics, and I think especially if you are someone who is, like me, a millennial and trying to figure your shit out, even though you're in your 30s, this will probably be pretty relatable. Or just if you are anybody at any age trying to figure your shit out, or if you've had that experience at all in your life, I think that this will ring true in some way and will have an emotional impact on you. Absolutely. As a boomer, I can say, but a boomer on the very end, I was, uh, I'm on the very tail end of being a boomer, but I can definitely identify with the character Emily in this movie is a woman who has accomplished a lot of what she wanted in life, and she's just trying to figure out where life goes from here. So that really spoke to me when I saw this film as well. And I believe Anais is sort of roughly roughly my age. Is she Maybe she's 36? I think so. I think so. I'm 32, so I felt that we were at relatably similar stages in life. Right, and I'm 58, and the character Emily is 56, and the mother in the film is 58, so I definitely could relate to that age group and where they were in their lives. So this is good, because you have, in this podcast, <laughs> you have Emily and the mother represented, and then you have Anais represented. So look at that. We're going to have an interesting conversation with varied perspectives, I'm sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have not seen any of Charlene Bourgeois-Taquette's films. I know she's had a couple of shorts, and she also acted in a bunch of films, uh, including, I believe, Mia Hansen loves Things to Come with Isabel Huppert. I don't know what role she has in that. I was just looking at her IMDb and was like, oh, okay, interesting. I'll have to, next time I rewatch that movie, see who she played. I, I have not seen any of her other films. I would be very interested in it. I did see in an interview with her that she originally got into the business by wanting to be an actress. And that then she worked in literature and in publishing, which, Lindsay, I know you can probably <laughs> identify with that a little bit. And that's where she kind of got, I think that was her impetus into eventually directing. Yeah. But I know she met one of the stars of the film who also is, her name is Anna-Nice, Anna-Nice de Moustier. And I apologize if I am butchering that name. But she met her on a short that she did, which was Pauline Asservi or Pauline Enslaved, was a, a short that she did. And she worked with the same actress in that film. And I believe at that point, she already had 
and a niece in love in her mind. And since these two work so well together, they kind of collaborated, and that's how we got this wonderful film. Joe, you had sent me a film stage interview with the director, and she had mentioned that when she wrote Anais in Love, it was with her in mind as Anais, not to play Anais, but to play in what she was interested in. So it did seem like a bit of a collaboration between them to figure out what would work well for the feature. It just seemed to me like this film was made for this actress, for Ananise de Moustier. She, she made the film for me. She, I know we're going to go more into the synopsis later, but she was able to bring such qualities that normally I could find so irritating at one moment and so charming the next moment. And she straddled that line so brilliantly. So I do, I, I see the collaboration between the two. Me too, because it takes a very special sort of charm and skill and presence to make somebody like this appealing and not irritating. Because if I met this woman in real life, I do think I would hate her at first, but then she would ensnare me and I would totally fall under her spell and I could see myself becoming obsessed with her and trying to figure her out and her being a bit of an enigma to me if I knew her in real life because of that charm quality that she has. But I think as a viewer, I'm able to remove myself a little bit from that and see more clearly, I think, what is going on with her. So I really enjoyed this viewing experience and thinking about the characterization and that is truly what made it a really worthwhile film to me. I felt like it was doing so much more than just what the plot would indicate. Absolutely. There were so many factors so brilliantly brought in, so many really deep, meaningful questions about life, but it was brought in so subtle and with a comedic flair and it just kind of snuck up on you that the first time I watched it I don't think I could take it all in on exactly what I had seen and then the second time I watched it it just really hit me how brilliant this film is and I how much I really really love this film. Same I think out of everything I've watched this year and I think actually we first watched this in 2021. But out of everything that came out this year that I've seen this year, this has been my favorite. This has been the film that's had the biggest impact on me. It's stuck with me. I've thought about it many times since first watching it. And then after watching it again, I think it definitely rewards repeat watches. I think that there are so many different areas where if you wanted to write about this film, you could really dig into, let's say the inclusion of John Cassavetti's opening night or the Marguerite de Ross connections, I think that there's so much that you could get out of this film if you kept digging and digging and digging. And we're not going to get into it that deeply because it would be hard to do in a podcast, but just there's so much for everyone, different avenues to kind of rabbit hole down if you are that type of film watcher. Absolutely. Very multi-layered. And I think every person is going to come at it from their perspective in life. It's just one of those, I think, a timeless film. I'm just going to put it out there. I think that this film will be timeless, that someone could watch 10 years from now, 20 years from now. And people are going to look back and go, this is a masterpiece because the message and the human experience are timeless. I feel like she captured that. And I feel like the actors in this film captured it brilliantly. Yeah, I would have to agree entirely with that. So I think at this point, and I always hate doing this because I'm like, who cares? If you're listening to this episode, you have probably seen the film, right? Otherwise, why would you care to listen to an in-depth conversation about it? But we should give you some kind of synopsis to orient you. So we'll just tell you that this is a film about a young woman named Anna East. She's 36-ish years old. She's kind of one of those people who's like a whirling tornado. She just runs through life. She's always running somewhere. She's 
usually got her bicycle with her. She is just kind of a force that will bulldoze you if you let her. And a lot of people do let her because she is insanely charming. And she it's not that she has nothing going on. She's working on a thesis on 17th century descriptions of passion. But you don't ever get the sense that she gives any type of shit about it. She doesn't seem particularly passionate about what she's doing. So she becomes involved with this man who she meets at a party. He's probably in his late 50s or 60s. Definitely old enough to be her dad, which she remarks upon at one point in a very funny way. And she's gone through a breakup with a partner So she's sort of in this weird place, and through that affair, she becomes sort of obsessed with this man's wife named Emily, who is a writer. And she first sort of hears about her from this man named Daniel, and then she's over at his house, she sees Emily's possessions, and there's a very sensual scene where she looks at her Guerlain lipstick and her fancy face creams, and she fingers her silk dress, And so you can tell there's an obsession there. And then when she actually meets Emily, which happens by happenstance, things very quickly escalate and she becomes infatuated and really wants to almost absorb this woman or become her or get something out of her. And they have this very passionate love affair. Add into that like five million other things that are happening from a drama standpoint and a comedic standpoint, all rolled into this. <laughs> yeah, it there's so much. Like, this film really does a good job of creating a world where even if something isn't the focus of the film, it's in there and it's in there enough that you really feel like it's a real part of what is happening, like a real part of the world or of the characters. Right. Absolutely. So I guess, Joe, if you had to describe this film to someone, obviously like not the plot, but what it's really about, what would you say? I guess coming from my perspective, I felt like if it all boiled down to it, it was the relationship of a person trying to find themselves trying to find the next chapter in their life, maybe feeling a little bit overwhelmed about what they had done in life, what they hadn't done in life, maybe kind of feeling like they had lost the oars to their rowboat and they weren't really sure where they were going to go forward. And I feel like it gave us two different perspectives of this question through these two seemingly very different women and showed how their intersection may have provided some type of answers for them in a way or may have provided an avenue of where maybe their next step was going to be. So I think basically I would put it down to Just being at a point in your life where you know you wanted something different, you needed inspiration, and you were you were looking for it, desperately seeking it. I would say that it's for me about dissatisfaction in life and what that looks like at different stages. And if there is such a thing as satisfaction and how you get it and where it comes from and what you have to do to find it, and why that might be hard for different people. Because I think you have Anais trying to get something from Emily, where she sees this woman who is 20 years older and beautiful and accomplished, and she's done so much, and she is at a stable point in her life where she's been focusing her energy at this one thing, which is writing, and she's had success, and it's like she's arrived. But she's also at this point in her life where she has a relationship with someone and then cheats on them with a younger woman. So 
a person who is satisfied in their life wouldn't do that. So then it's like, okay, well, what is going on with Emily? And where does her dissatisfaction come from? And it doesn't come from the same places as Anais, but it still comes from this questioning of what what else there is in life or what is the point of life or what is most important in life. Is it passion? Is it unadulterated passion and living in the moment? Is it stability and success and what you have to show for yourself? Is it some combination of those things? Is it unattainable? Like, I think this film goes into all of those different avenues and I don't think it necessarily lands squarely on any particular one. Oh, I think that's brilliant. Absolutely. I think I think probably you hit the nail on the head. I mean, that is definitely a universal theme in life. You're led to believe that if you're doing the exact right things in life, you'll be truly happy. And is there really true happiness? Is there these seems like fleeting moments and questioning and dissatisfaction seem to be more the norm really so it this that that is true this movie touches a lot on that of just kind of realizing what life is and maybe there's freedom in realizing that maybe then you will be able to to quell the nighttime tremors or whatever but yeah, it is kind of a universal theme that I think that anybody, man, woman, anyone in the world has probably dealt with at some point or deals with daily in their life. I mean, something something I talk about a lot in therapy is how there are these things that we're told to do in life and they're grow up and get an education and get a job and get married and have kids and then you teach your kids the lessons you learned but you try to do better and you try to give them more and then they grow up and then you die and we're given this prescriptive path of things that I feel are basically meant to just distract us from our mortality and I think that when you don't have those things when you're trying to live a life that actively does not engage in that type of domesticity or that type of blueprint, I think that because you don't have those distractions, it is easy to go into the philosophical pondering of what is life and what am I meant to do and why am I not doing the thing? And if I was doing the thing, would it bring me more happiness? I think it's very easy to spiral. And I'm not saying that the people who get married and have kids and do all the things don't also experience this. I think maybe... They just experience it at different times. Yeah, I mean, there's no linear one way that anyone is going to experience life. People are going to be different. People's mental healths are different. People's situations are different. I mean, we know that. But just as a, just as an overall theme of the movie, it does feel like I know. Well, one thing that you brought up was having kids, and that was one thing that Ananise definitely said many, many times. I don't want children. I don't want to have children. That's not something that I want. And I think that that is an important factor because even in today's society, if a woman does not want to have kids, it's not as bad as it used to be, but you're just kind of looked upon like, what? What's wrong with you? And that d- d- you don't fit into the mold. And that could just heap on top of the other angst that you're experiencing of feeling like that you've, you've stepped outside of the norm and, and realizing that your life is going to be much different than a majority of people's. And I just feel like that... I don't know, in some ways that can be liberating. In other ways, it can just pile on more anxiety when people are putting the pressure on you to of being different. I, I related a lot to Anais because I also don't want to have kids. I've known that for forever since I was a child. Right. But that doesn't mean that I know exactly what I want my life to look like. I just know that I don't want it to have kids. But that doesn't really answer that many questions. There are still so many different possibilities and then I think you also have to contend with the fact that you don't have one of those clear identity labels that society likes to give you so 
in America, we tend to identify ourselves by our job, our status as partner or spouse or parent. We have these clear clear markers of who you are based on societally acceptable and praised positions. Mm-hmm. So I do think it becomes or it can become very disorienting when you don't even have those things to hang your identity on. It's like you don't even have any signposts in your own life. And I think for Anais, she's also not really seeming to be happy with her her thesis work. She's not really ever focused on it. And when it is mentioned, it's sort of only mentioned in the context of, hey, weren't you supposed to already have this done? And she just kind of brushes it off. So it seems like she's whirling through life trying to distract herself from all of these things that are kind of snowballing that she's going to have to deal with, whether they be feelings, like emotions that she is having because of external or internal factors, or uh, because of things that are happening in her life to other people around her that are also going to have impact on her. So I think we see her trying to evade those in every way possible, but doing it in a very charming, beautiful, stylized way that makes it a little easy to forget that there's some fucked up things going on in her life that she needs to address. Right. Yeah. Some people could see her and just think, oh, my goodness, she's a force of nature. She's she's just always on the go. You could almost kind of admire her until you really get to know her and see she's pretty dysfunctional. In many, many ways in the movie, she's having trouble paying her rent. She ends up subletting her apartment to this Korean couple. And there ends up being a hilarious thing where they kind of set her stove on fire, which was uh, hilarious. I know that doesn't sound like it would be hilarious, but no one was hurt in the way that they did it. I just was laughing out loud at that. And also, Lindsay, you know what I, we were talking about, she didn't want kids and and just things she was running from in this film, she tells her boyfriend very nonchalantly that she's pregnant and that she's going to have an abortion. And she's also dealing with a reoccurrence of her mom having cancer. The cancer, I believe, has showed up in her mom's liver. And these could be very pivotal moments in the film where the film could have just deviated and dealt with, oh, her her stress and anger and her emotions at having to get an abortion and her this, that, and the other. And they it didn't do that. Surprisingly and thankfully, it didn't do that. I mean, I just wanted to get your take on it. How do you think the film handled that? I loved it. I loved it. And that's not to say that I don't... I mean, there are some films that I really love that do deal with abortion and that is the whole movie. So like sometimes, what is that movie called? I fuck that title up every single time. The Eliza Hitman movie. I'm just going to Google it because I can't, I can't deal with messing it up again. It's never rarely, sometimes, always. Like I love that film and there are plenty of films about abortion that I love where that is the whole film. So I don't want to say that that is something that I'm not into, but I do think that the way this film dealt with it, I like that it was so casual. I like that it was just a mention. I like that there was no hemming and hawing. She's just going to get her abortion, and that was it. It was like going to the CVS to pick up a Tylenol pack or something. I like that. I want more casual representation of abortion where it isn't this huge, weighty, emotional process that you have to go through, but just something you decide to do and then you do. I want like that representation as well as the other stories that are more directly about the grueling process of getting an abortion. I think we need we need it from all sides. So I love that this film took that approach. And then same with the mom's cancer. It wasn't that Anais wasn't impacted by it. She was impacted by it greatly, but it wasn't the only thing that she was thinking about or dealing with all the time in her day-to-day life there were other things going on as well and that made it feel more like how the experience would be if you yourself were going through it so I, I like that it wasn't just all about that one thing and that the director 
didn't use that to stoke some dramatic subplot line. It was really just used to show you what Anais was dealing with in her life and the different things she had going on. It made her a rounded character, but it wasn't utilized really to like move the plot forward or to create drama in the way you think it would be. I agree with all of that. I really loved how they how they handled it. One of my favorite things in the movie, one of my favorite lines was when she was, and, and the way that she told her boyfriend, they were just walking in a plaza. They were supposed to have gone and seen a movie. And of course, Anna, Annalise was uh, late. She comes running up. They didn't get to see the movie. They're walking and she kind of tells him and all of a sudden he's like, well, ugh, you're just not going to include me on this decision. And she just put him right in his place. And I love that part that she may have a, a lot of fucked up things going on in her life. But one thing that I did admire is she knew that she was worthy, that this was her decision to make. She never let a man run over her, I felt like. <laughs> like she always kind of stood her ground with that. And she was standing up to him and he said something like, oh, you're getting violent. And she's like, don't tell me what to do. You're violent too and you're nonchalance or something. It was just hilarious the way that she kept coming back to him on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she called him a despot. Oh, yeah, a despot. Like, That's yeah. it. <laughs> that, that whole scene was so <gasps> good. I really, really liked it. It was funny. It was very funny. Made abortion funny. Yeah, you know, she just stood her ground and was like, what are you talking about? She just gave it right back to him. She did not let him shame her or run over her. And that part I liked. I really, really liked that. And I felt like the the reoccurring cancer in her mom kind of gave us a moment to see their relationship, which I felt like was a good relationship, a very deep connection between these two women, even though they weren't together that much in the movie, she didn't, like, drop everything and come move in and was there 24-7 with her mom. But there was a connection there, kind of uh, a connection, like a gentle, at-ease connection between with her parents. So I felt like, you know, of course, no child has the perfect relationship with their parents. But just from what I gathered, it kind of... That storyline and her being there kind of gave me the fact that this family was close. She was close with her brother. There was some funny scenes she had with her brother. And towards the end of the movie, they all came back together and were having their pictures made. And I felt like that this was a family that, not a perfect relationship, but that they all had a pretty good relationship with each other. I don't know if you felt that way, but I kind of got that vibe off of it. I thought so. Like when Anais came to visit her parents... Her and her mom were sitting outside on lawn chairs, and Anna East, when she goes in to get a hat, finds papers indicating that her mom's cancer has come back. When she goes outside, she confronts her mom about it, and her mom is kind of like, well, I was going to tell you, but I wanted to do it in person, and Anna East goes off to the sea and sort of has a really beautiful moment with this kind of swelling operatic music while she looks at the sea and cries. But then when she comes back, she enters her parents' darkened bedroom and she hugs and kisses her mom and she apologizes and they have this very frank conversation about her cancer. Like, where where is it at right now? What do you need to do? How are you feeling about it? And the mom is very open and honest and she just matter-of-factly explains what is happening and I thought that that was really that showed that showed an emotional closeness and a connection the fact that they were able to relate on that level and the fact that her mom was able to be honest with her in that way right her mom didn't get her feelings hurt that she needed time alone to process it you know they were able to have that conversation I love that shot of her swimming in the ocean that was beautiful and then later on a very similar shot when her and Emily were on the beach together and they were swimming together in the same light-filled ocean I just thought that that was beautiful it was somehow I don't know kind of connected somehow I'm not exactly sure how but 
I just thought that that was a really beautiful scene. Yeah, the light in that in both of those scenes is like that type of really sparkly sunlight that makes the water look like little diamonds and Anais in that first scene her body is just sparkling she's floating in the ocean and everything is sparkling and then it's the same when Anais and Emily have kissed each other on the beach and kind of been fondling each other and then they get into the ocean and I mean, if like my English 101 class would be talking about how water is rebirth. <laughs> and I mean, I can I can see how that argument could be made. It is sort of a rebirth for the character in in some sense. The first one, she's now has to enter this new life where her mom has cancer again, and that has implications. And then after she kisses Emily and they have this love affair, that has implications. That means something. It feels monumental to Anais. So, yeah, two two kind of pivotal scenes, both in the ocean. It was. And it, it was almost just like sometimes even in the darkest moments, you can have moments of beauty. I mean, there can just be the worst stuff coming on, but you can have a good day. You can have a beautiful moment. You can feel good for just a moment. There's nothing wrong with that. And that's what keeps us going. It's what keeps me going. It was just the little moments of unexpected pleasures or getting to swim in a warm ocean or finding that there is a piece of chocolate in the house or whatever it is, just the little things that kind of help you through the darker times in life. And I, I felt like this film did that. It balanced out the real tragedies and, and just craziness that was happening along with some of the funny and very wonderful moments that also happened. Yeah, and I think something something you made me think about is it's so hard whenever those types of moments happen in your own life to recognize them for what they are and to really appreciate them in the moment. At least for me, usually, it's not until I'm thinking about it in retrospect that I'm able to see, oh, that was a really nice moment. I wish I could relive that moment. But because we are watching this movie, because this is a movie and there's a cinematographer making everything look beautiful, we can recognize that that moment is pivotal and beautiful and means something but for the character it's interesting to think does the character see it in the same way does the character recognize it for what it is are they able to be in the moment like that I think it's that's an interesting thing to think about and I don't know Anais is this character that lives in the moment or tries to live in the moment or appears to live in the moment but what do you really think about her? Well, how would you how would you describe her? What do you think is going on with her internally? And how do you think she comes off externally? Well, I feel like I feel like she becomes something different a little bit. She changes a little bit as the movie goes on. At the beginning, it's frantic. Opening scene, she's running, pushing a bike. The music is frantic. It's just, and and you see this, this, her running, 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 frantic music, never stopping. She meets Emily, and it just seems like as their relationship develops, she goes, Emily's teaching a writer's retreat. She shows up there. She somehow worms her way into this writer's retreat. She, she starts to slow down just a tad. You don't hear the frantic music anymore. The actress that played Emily, I'm going to butcher this, but it's Valeria Bruni Tedeschi. Beautiful lady. And she brings such a a quiet calm. And she conveys so much in just her demeanor and her body manner and the way that she looks. And I just loved her. And I, I feel like that she sort of has a calming effect on Ananise, even though she doesn't change her because we know that Ananise is projecting all of this glorious imagery onto her and and basically is going after her because she she wants her. And I feel like 
Emily realizes this, but she lets it happen. But I do think that at the end of the movie, I see a change in Ananis. I feel like she has, I'm not saying that things are great and she's going to turn around and finish her thesis and everything's going to be wonderful, but I think that she she's learned something from Emily a little bit, maybe of just to take things a little bit slower and to hopefully try to deal with something through life without being so frantic, I hope. Yeah, I think Emily has good, she has a good influence on her in a lot of ways. And I don't know if it's necessarily that Emily is a more mature, calm person inherently, or if it's just that she's lived more life and she can now recognize what is going on with this younger version of herself in some way. And so she's able to impart wisdom because these are things that she has experienced that she knows about. Or if they are different people, if they are really different people. I think that that's that's kind of something interesting. The movie definitely wants to parallel them where we see that they are similar in many ways or that Anna East thinks they are similar. Like she, when she realizes that Emily has this deep connection to Marguerite Duras's The Ravishing of Lowell Stein, you can tell she thinks that that is something so profound and meaningful, the fact that they both have this connection with this book. And I can relate to that because that's often how I connect with people. You know, we really love the same movie or the same book. And so then we can get into conversation about that. But that's also not an indicator that that person is like you, that that person thinks like you or wants the same things as you. It's almost like an artificial connection because you're both moved by the same piece of art. But were you moved in the same way or is it different for one of you? And I think... The film kind of, for me at least, like blurs that line a bit where I don't really know. I don't know if Emily and Anna East are so similar or if Anna East just sees what she wants to see in Emily. Like, are we kind of seeing a projection of, of how Anna East sees her in the way the character is portrayed? I don't know if that makes sense, but I think what I'm trying to say is just I don't know if I feel necessarily that Emily is a distinct character until the very end scene of the film where she and Anais meet at that hotel and have the glass of wine and she kind of explains her position on their affair and what's been going on with her and where she's at in her life. It wasn't really until that moment for me that she really distinctly felt like a different person and not just a projection. What did you think? No, I agree with that. It, it's almost as if Emily was kind of left to be a mystery. She was so quiet and so it's almost as if she was stepping back and just observing a lot of what was going on. But then we we realized, well, I think it started with me with the seduction scene where they had walked down to this beach and they're laying there very close to each other. And these these two have chemistry with each other. There's no doubt about it. They definitely have tons of chemistry and sexual tension between each other. And Ananise is just looking at her. And Emily is also like, well, what's next, Ananise? You've been pursuing me. I'm here. I'm basically giving you this opportunity where we where are we going with this so I, I at that point I've kind of felt like okay Emily knows exactly what's going on here and she's probably been weighing in her mind hmm this is intriguing I am attracted to this beautiful human being do I want to upset my apple cart at home and my entire life to go after this or what's going to happen so I kind of started getting an inkling at that point, which was still close to the end of of what type of person she was. But I agree, right at the very ending scene where they meet each other in a hotel, they haven't seen each other all summer. They've been writing these passionate letters to each other because they read the letters 
as they're showing different scenes. And I, I feel like at that point, then, we do really have a clear-cut definition of where she is coming from. And two things that I want to bring up before I forget them. One of them is, did you notice that Ananis, like, what do they call it, broke the broke the wall or broke the third person when she was looking at the camera at some point in, in reading her letters. I thought that was interesting. I wasn't exactly sure why that was put in there, what your thoughts were on that. And we just have to say, I, probably my favorite scene in the movie is when Emily and Ananis were dancing to She's Got Betty Davis Eyes by Kim Carnes. I loved that scene with all my heart. <laughs> Yeah, that was a really, really good scene. Okay, a couple things. Yeah, I loved, it was when she broke the fourth wall. Yeah, broke the fourth wall. They were, those scenes were so cool where they were writing letters to each other and you would hear the narration of the letter written in the person's voice who had wrote it. And then you would see each person doing something either while they were writing or while they were reading the letter. And it was... A moment in Emily's letter when she wrote, Anais, are you real? Then there was a cut, and then it was Anais looking directly at the camera and speaking directly at the camera, and she said, yes, I'm real. And I thought that that was really cool because, yes, she's breaking the fourth wall, and she is a character, and she is not real, but she is insisting on being real while looking at the viewer. And I almost kind of thought, well, that's cool because... The director, if she is basing Anais on herself, that is almost a way of her taking ownership of the character in a way. I was saying like this character is real, sort of this character is me. I thought it could kind of be in- interpreted like that. Mm-hmm. Yes, I love that. Yeah, I, I did too. I, I thought that was really, really cool. And then, oh, the, the scene of them dancing. I loved that and it reminded me of the scene in The Lost Daughter when Olivia Coleman dances with, uh, what, oh, what is his name? Why am I blanking? The older guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm blanking on it too. I can see him. I can see him. This is so sad. I cannot. Ed Harris. Oh. It's Ed Harris's character. Oh, Ed Harris. Ed Harris. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And then there's also that scene in uh, Bergman Island when. Yes. Uh, Mia Wasikowska is dancing to ABBA at the mm-hmm. wedding and those for it might just be because i've seen those movies uh somewhat recently but those scenes i really feel like somebody could make a montage with all of those different dances because all those oh. scenes reminded me of each other they were just so fun and passionate and free but then there's something that happens in each one that detracts you from that fun passion free like right in Anais, it's the fucking uh, Daniel who shows up and is like I surprised you and it's like get the fuck out of here no one <laughs> wanted you here we hate you as viewers and then these women in the film hopefully also and like in Bergman Island it's the it's when she realizes that she's dancing alone and that her paramour has exited and in The Lost Daughter it's when the family shows up and makes the scene uncomfortable so yeah, I don't know. So, there's something to be said about them. Yeah, it is. And that scene was just so magical. And I don't think they could have picked a better song. I've always loved that song. And it just it just set the mood. And it just really, I mean, they already this chemistry between them. But boy, could you really feel it. I mean, it, you could have just cut it with a knife. And then, yes, the husband shows up. I have to say, the actor that played him, I'm going to butcher this, Denise Pudanidis, I know I've killed that name, that played Daniel, he played him perfectly to a T. That was a hilarious scene when he, he had no idea that the woman that he was having the affair with against his wife was there trying to seduce his wife. And when he saw her, just it was just one of the most hilarious scenes in the world. And once again, one of my favorite lines when Daniel realizes that Ananis is there and has this fatuation with his wife, they get off by themselves and he's freaking out about it. She's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I don't need permission to see my wife. And and she and Ananis goes, my wife. 
that obscene sense of ownership. She is not yours. <laughs> and I love that. Oh, I love that so much. I mean, I loved it enough I wrote it down because I just thought, that's telling him, you know, who is he? <laughs> yeah. I loved how many times we saw women just dress him down. Like, mainly Anais. We never really see Emily do it, I guess. But even when Anais goes to his house after she's left her apartment, which she's subletting, she shows up at his house and he is sort of basically saying to her that he wants to have her as his side piece and his wife as his main, or she's not even his wife, his partner, Emily, as his stable person. And she tells him that it's a bourgeois cliche for him to have a younger mistress and an older successful wife. And then when he tries to justify it, she's just like, stop, this is insulting. And then she leaves his house. Yeah. Yeah, she just packs up. Yeah, she, like, takes no shit from him whatsoever. She kind of just uses him and then discards him when she's done with him. And I like it. I want to see more of that, please. Yes, I think the only reason she went over there is she could not afford her rent. So she needed to sublet it to this other couple. And she needed a place to stay. So that was her answer in order to, to get over there. And, you know, fortunately, it didn't work out for her. But I love that men in this movie were always on the peripheral. Like, they were there for some plots, but they weren't the main focus. And I love that because, as we know, 99% of the films ever made in this world were so... The, the character that they usually focused on were mainly the men or how women reacted to men or what men did to women. And I just love that this focused on female relationships with the men just kind of circling like planets on the outside. <laughs> yeah, this was very much a film about women. Men happened to be in it, but you only cared about them in the ways that they related to the women. You didn't care about them independently as characters. And yeah, great. I want to see more of that for sure. Yeah, yeah guess what? People that are women or identify as women, we're interesting and have lives and feelings and emotions, and it does not need a man to spark us to be interesting. So, <gasps> whoo, believe it or not. Yeah. And also, I like that this film wasn't mired in labels of sexuality. This could be really cliche. I think in, a, in another movie, it would be like, Anais is this young heterosexual woman having these relationships with men and then she either has a like dalliance a queer dalliance with a woman or she has a queer dalliance with a woman that is not just a one-time thing but then ends up awakening her sexuality and now she's a lesbian I feel like if this film were made in like even the early 2000s it would have been much more straightforward and kind of cliche i should say if it were made in the early 2000s in america right but i like that we don't get the sense that this is a one-off experience for anna east necessarily she could be queer she could be open she could be anything like we don't know really what her sexuality is and the film is not interested in defining it either the relationship that she has with emily is just what it is and it it just feels like a relationship. It just feels like a romantic relationship that happens to be with a woman. And again, like that's that's great. I'm not necessarily interested in having labels put on everything or for it having to mean something specific to sexuality. I think the film just kind of lets it be what it is and isn't overly concerned about making it seem one way or the other. Absolutely. Sexuality, in my opinion, is so fluid anyway. I don't, why we, well, we know that that they were, labels were put on it because it was to keep, I'm sorry, it was to keep white men in power. That That's the only thing that I know. You have to put labels on things and keep things in their place, which is white men are up here and everybody else is below that. So I just feel like, I love that it just didn't make a big deal about it. Honestly, in watching the film, when she was attracted to her, I was never thinking like, 
oh, this is a lesbian affair, or this is... It just felt like, hey, they turned each other on. They wanted to be with each other. They were attracted. This was this was just like a human relationship. That's what it felt like. And, it, and once again, just like along with the line of abortion, it just kind of happened, and it just flowed in, and there was not a big deal made of it. And that was another reason I think this film is so brilliant. It is going to age so well. Yeah, it just felt very natural. You totally understood why Anais was attracted to Emily. You totally understood why Emily was attracted to Anais. You understood it on both a sexual level and you understood it on an emotional level. It just worked and it just made sense. And the film treated it very sensuously. I loved the scene where they were making out on the beach and fondling each other and the camera just kind of lingered on them and that tighter shot like the shots of their breasts mm-hmm. and sometimes I'm a little like do we need gratuitous nudity in in films but in this in this sense I felt like it was used really well and not not in like a gross voyeuristic way but in a way that really made you understand the passion between these two people and what their sexual romantic chemistry was like absolutely and that was just such a slow and tender scene i really felt like no matter what happens with these two women i felt like that that was such a pivotal beautiful moment for both of them and i don't i just do not see any regret coming from that from either one of them because I just feel like the passion was there it was a beautiful time when it was done they were swimming in the sparkling ocean to me if I was on a niece when I'm 88 years old that would be a day that I would just want to relive in my mind over and over and over again that it was just so beautiful yeah absolutely it's like a thing you would think about and write about in your journal like every year (laughs) it would just stick with you and you would feel and think differently about it as time passed I think well what do you what do you think about the ending what do you think happened with these two women if you if you had to say take the film fast forward it one year from when they were kissing in the elevator and the door shut and the film ended where do you think they would be (sighs) I mean it sucks because I think They have really good chemistry. I think that they have good intentions for each other. Like, I don't think either has any desire or intention to hurt the other. I think that they have, they have the hallmarks of a good, fulfilling relationship. But I feel like Anais is just too at this place in her life where she needs to be introspective. She needs to think really carefully about what she wants her own life to look like for herself, period. And I don't think that she's in the place where she can be in a romantic relationship with another person and have it be mutually beneficial and mutually a mutual partnership in the way that it should be. So I don't feel like I want these two to, I don't, I don't feel like I want Emily to leave Daniel and then to be in a long-term relationship with Anais. I would be happy if Anais had her last fling with Emily, or maybe she had a couple of them, but she started going to therapy or (laughs) journaling or writing or throwing herself into something that would help her force some introspection and would help her would force her to kind of address the areas of her life that are nagging her that she needs to address right hopefully that she yeah she can get some self growth emotionally from this where she can recognize that she needs help and i'm like you i mean The romantic part of me would be like, oh, they found true love and they're going to be together and the age difference doesn't matter and this is going to turn Ananise around and she's going to write the book. But yeah, I think in reality it would be where this may be a sweet, maybe even a bittersweet memory. I'd like to think that maybe they could keep a friendship even when it didn't 
go forward, that they would always have a special connection with each other, but I don't know. I mean, in real life, probably she's going to go back to Daniel and and Annalise is probably maybe going to keep stumbling around a little bit more until she can find some help for herself. But I do like the way it ended. It just kind of left us with kind of knowing that we think what's going to happen, but maybe not. There's always a little bit of hope for happiness, so hopefully they found it in one way or the other. Yeah, and I think maybe at some point they're romantic feelings would cool off and they could have more of a mentor-mentee relationship or just a friendship or something. Like maybe that relationship doesn't have to be all or nothing where they're romantically, emotionally connected, etc. Maybe they can get to a place where it is a true friendship and it's good and makes sense for both of them. Or Maybe maybe Anais does her introspective shit and maybe they do have a romantic relationship at some later date when it makes more sense. I think there are a lot of possibilities that I would be satisfied with and that could be good depending on what the characters had going on. True. True. It could be one of these things they just meet, run into each other every four years and have passionate sex and say goodbye and go on. Who knows? Yeah, sometimes sometimes that can be good. Yeah. It just depends. You know, you know? That's one way to keep the fire alive is don't live with the person, don't share a bathroom with the person, don't yeah. just keep projecting those fantasies on that phantom person and you'll be good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Any any relationship is easy to keep hot if you just avoid cohabitating with the person or seeing the person too regularly if you keep them at an arm's length with some mystery twice a year you can twice a year (laughs) yeah perfect great well have we have we said it all about this beautiful film i just have to say once again that and even after talking about it i'm even more 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 in love with it and i can't i just hope and pray and can't wait to see more from this director she's so talented and i really hope to see a lot more from her i agree and i I don't know if we specifically said it, but she wrote the screenplay, too. So she wrote the screenplay. She directed it. Yes. And this is her first feature film. So what she's accomplished here is very hard to accomplish from both standpoints, writing and directing. And I think because she had such a relationship with the actress, you could just tell. You could just tell that they were on the total same wavelength. Uh, the actress was able to carry out her desires for the character so well. She really just embodied that role kind of in the way, like I hate to make this comparison, but kind of in the way that like Lauren Graham is Lorelai Gilmore. Sometimes you have those roles where they just feel like nobody else could do them. They feel written for that person. They feel the role is that person. There's no separating them. And I think that this is one for... The real Anais, whose last name I cannot remember and probably would fuck up. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Yep. Yes, I, I agree. You know, another one that comes to mind is Carrie Bradshaw. I mean, come on. Sarah Jessica Parker, she is Carrie Bradshaw. So. Yeah. That's that's her legacy. She's She can't yeah. get away from that. That's it. And I would love to see a collaboration between this director and between Ananis, the true life Ananis, again, uh, they, they have, they have a chemistry together and I would love to see. They do. Yeah. yeah. I, I would, I would be interested in seeing them work together again. I think that they, I mean, this is only one film, but it does seem like they have something kind of magical going on. Like, like John Cassavetes and Gina Rollins or God, I have a hate to say it, but like, you know, or Woody Allen and Mia Farrow or Diane Keaton. There there are some people that just have a really, you can tell, special working relationship in film where they get each other on a deep level and they're able to 
really turn the writing and the character into what feels like a a real person. And this is this is one of those instances. We love this film. We highly recommend it. And grateful that this little gem is out there for us. Thank you so much for listening. We would love to hear from you if you would like to either leave a review for the podcast or email us at sup at womaninrevolt.com. That's S-U-P at W-O-M-A-N-I-N-R-E-V-O-L-T.com. We would love to hear your thoughts on the film, any recommendations for upcoming films that you feel we should cover on this podcast, or if you're interested in having us cover episodic TV, we would love to hear those suggestions as well. So once again, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you on the next one.